all, welcome to Something's in the Closet podcast, where we talk about oogie spooky things. I'm Y, and I'm joined by Aleha. Um, today is my episode, uh, and I just briefly wanted to say that uh, I'm making the executive decision as editor for this podcast that upload days will now be Wednesday instead of Monday for my sanity. Um, sorry. I mean, if you really enjoyed listening to this on Mondays, you could just like wait until the week prior and then just be an episode behind and listen on Mondays. <sighs> it's Alex, Aleha, did you have anything you want you want to say before we get into the story? Um, I have nothing to say at the moment. I will just say since whatever episode was last, I am still very much obsessed with the Batman. Specifically the Riddler. That is all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, yeah, so we're slowly approaching finals week here. Uh, Aleha's getting ready to graduate. Um, she looks like she's having a crisis at the moment, because uh, she still needs to find a job so she can start her career. Yeah, unfortunately. Okay, look, I've applied to several jobs. However, having her back from some... And I also am just, I'm currently getting my resume checked to, like, make sure it looks good. I think it looks good. Do professionals think it looks good? I don't know. So I'm going to find out soon. Um, but, yeah, as of this past Thursday, yeah, Thursday makes it a month until graduation. And any time I think about that, I kind of want to have a panic attack, but we're not going to talk about it. You know what's great is that I have to move out by 9 a.m. the morning after finals. And it's the night that Multiverse of Madness premieres, and I want to go see that. So I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Oh, I'd like to add that I also don't... Wait. No. Two episodes ago, I didn't know what the topic was. And then I found out. This week... Wyatt swears up and down that he told me what the topic was, and I think that's bullshit. Because I have, I have receipts. Where are the receipts? Because as far as I knew, it was going to be that one thing, and then I was like, "Oh, we're talking about this one thing," and then you were like, "No," <laughs> and I'm just, I'm confused. Did you tell it? Did you tell me what it was when we were drunk? Because if you did, I definitely nope. don't remember. Nope. No, it was through your message. Cool. No, I, I'm not even going to look through it. I'm just going to let this happen. Okay, cool. So why don't we get started with this week's episode? All right, Aleha. What do you know about the 1920s? Um, I know it was like historical-wise or just anything. Anything about the 20s. So I know the 1920s, it was kind of like a party time because it was just after the First World War. So, of course, everything was going great. Um, alcohol was illegal. So not great. <laughs> um, 
obviously rich people still had it, so like they had massive fuck. If you were rich, it was going amazing. If you were poor, it kind of sucked because you couldn't really drink unless you ha- you had like an inn. Um, that's pretty much all I know, other than the fact that after the twenties, shit hit the fan horribly, and it's probably gonna happen again. Oh, mm, let's hope not. Okay. <laughs> hey. Well, I'm glad you provided a little bit of backstory. So here's my overview of the 1920s for the United States in general. The 1920s represented an era of change and growth for the United States. The decade was one of learning and exploration. Recently, America had become a world power and was respected. It was considered no longer just a former British colony. Um, American culture, like our books, movies, theater, started being exported in internationally. So people were con- started consuming American media, and now they still do. <clears throat> While World War I had left Europe in an economic decline, it left America on the rise. The decade of the 20s helped establish America's position and respect to the rest of the world, through our industries, inventions, and creativity. But specifically, I want to talk about the 1920s in Los Angeles, California. The 1920s was a um, prosperous era for L.A. when the name Hollywood became synonymous with the U.S. film industry and the visual setting of Los Angeles became famous. The eight major Hollywood studios produced 90% of all major films and controlled movie theaters and film distribution rights. A large banking sector developed in Los Angeles port, which became the second busiest deep water port. One third of Los Angeles homes were privately owned by homeowners, unlike other major U.S. cities where housing was largely rented. As the emerging economy fueled by oil and Hollywood, real estate grew. Plenty of job openings attracted heavy immigration, especially from the rural Midwest and Mexico. The city's population grew to over one million in this decade. That's a lot of people. Um, So I just want to show you some pictures of what L.A. looked like at this time. Is this a true crime episode? Maybe. Okay, so it's definitely not what I think. I still have no fucking idea what this episode is about. Okay, so I just sent you some photos. Uh, I emailed it to you of uh, what Los Angeles looked like during the 20s. It doesn't look like what I would think Los Angeles looks like. It kind of reminds me of San Francisco. Describe what you are looking at. As soon as you look at it. <laughs> as soon as I get this shit open. Oh, Jesus. Okay, yeah. It's very busy. I mean, there's cars everywhere. There's also still a horse carriage just because, you know, that was a thing. Um, there's a trolley system. There's a lot of people. It's very chaotic. <laughs> like, <laughs> there, there is so much going on. It looks like a lawless land, to be quite honest. It is a booming uh prosperous land full of people now um and la used to be like not respected because it was viewed as like oh who wants to live all the way over there uh and then that quickly changed during the 20s due to the film industry 
Okay, so now we're going to get into the subject of today's episode. In 1924, William Banks Hanner wanted to cash in on the new influx of travelers to Los Angeles. So what better way to cater to them than building a luxury hotel? The hotel was designed by Lloyd Lester Smith in the uh, Bode Art style, and it was constructed by W.W. Payton. The hotel cost $1.5 million in the 20s to complete. But within the first five years of the hotel's opening, economic despair swept the nation. So I just want to briefly say that the hotel we are discussing today is the Cecil Hotel. Yeah, I figured it out as soon as we started talking about a hotel. I was like, fuck. Okay. So this uh, economic despair that swept the nation is known as the Great Depression. So we're just going to go over a brief overview of what the Great Depression was for those of you who might have failed history class. Throughout the 1920s, the U.S. economy expanded rapidly, and the nation's total wealth more than doubled between 1920 and 1929, a period dubbed the Roaring Twenties. The stock market, centered at New York Stock Exchange on Wall Street in New York City, was a scene of reckless speculation, where everybody from millionaire tycoons to cooks and janitors poured their savings into stocks. As a result, the stock market underwent rapid expansion, reaching its peak in August of 1929. By then, production had already declined and unemployment had risen, leaving stock prices much higher than their actual value. Additionally, wages at the time were low, consumer debt was high, the agricultural sector of the economy was struggling due to drought and failing food pri- and falling food prices. Banks had an excess of large loans that could not be liquidated. The American economy entered a mild recession during the summer of 1929. As consumer spending slowed and unsold goods began to pile up, which in turn slowed factory production, stock prices continued to rise. High levels that could not be justified by expected future earnings. The Great Depression was the worst economic downturn in history of the industrialized world, lasting from 1929 to 1939. So 10 years of fucked. Okay, continuing with the story. So now I want to talk about the birth of hotel death. The first death to occur at the Cecil was actually... Haha, <laughs> just kidding. I totally skipped an entire thing. So uh, we're going to briefly talk about the decline of the Cecil Hotel. So due to the Great Depression, the heavy influx of business travelers turned into a small trickle, leaving the hotel scrambling to stay open. During this time in Los Angeles, there were well over 10,000 transient people who fled to Los Angeles in hopes of earning some wages. Often, they wound up on Skid Row, where they could find housing, food, and shelter. Being steps off of Skid Row, the hotel became a viable housing option for the local transient population. This was the hotel's transformation from a high-value luxury hotel to a desperate last chance for those struggling to survive. So imagine building this immaculate hotel, spending a shit ton of money on it, only to have 
five years of good business only for everything to be destroyed. I mean, that's basically how, like, I feel like that's generally how places become absolutely cursed. It's just because there's all this hard work poured into it, only for it to just be completely, like, disregarded because of... College. College degrees. Cursed. Confirmed by Aleha. There's a reason you get depressed your last semester of college. And that's why. (laughs) So now we're going to talk about the birth of hotel death. The first death to occur at the Cecil was actually during the hotel's peak in January 1927. The death being of 52-year-old Percy Ormond Cook, who shot himself in the head after a fight with his wife and child. Next, the next death at the hotel occurred only four years later in 1931. A man checked in under the name James Willie. A week after the man had checked in, a maid discovered his body, and police found capsules thought to contain poison in the coat pocket of the deceased. Upon further investigation, checks were found in the room identifying the man to be of a missing person named W.K. Norton, who was last seen in his Manhattan Beach home the same day he checked into the hotel. He was found just a few hours after ending his own life. Just one year later, a member of the hotel staff was the building's next victim. 25-year-old Benjamin Deutsch was found dead in one of the rooms with a bullet hole in his left temple. The L.A. Homicide Department ruled it a suicide. Okay, so all there... What's the suicide count? Three? Four? Three for three. Yeah, three suicides in the span of how how many years? If you had to... I lost track of how many years. Well, the first one happened in 1927. The other two happened in 1931 and 1932. That's still a lot of suicides to happen in one place. Don't worry. We have like a hundred years to go through here. Just about. (laughs) That's why I'm shocked. Like, I know in Vegas. Oh, my God. This is going to be like kind of dark. So, like, (laughs) suicide trigger warning. (laughs) Um... I didn't find out how quickly they pick up after people (laughs) in Vegas. Like, okay, so two instances. This is like a side (laughs) note of like some really dark shit. Um, I think this happened when I was in, I think it happened when I was in high school. Um, A man jumped off the stratosphere. I I don't know if you don't know, that's the big like um, Seattle looking needle in Vegas. If you've never been to Vegas. Um, some, a man jumped off of that and they quickly cleaned it up, like, instantly. You wouldn't have known it would have happened at all. And then, when I was a junior, before I was a junior in college, I worked at Subway. And one day after work, me and all my coworkers wanted to go out and, like, you know, just hang out with each other. Because we were all around the same age. So we decided to go to this... Small, small casino where everybody goes to go see... All the locals go to this casino because it's like there's a movie theater, there's a bowling alley, there's like a really good burger restaurant. So it's like a pretty good hangout even if you're not 21. So we wanted to go there and go bowling. And when we pulled up, we heard a bunch of ambulances and stuff. And we were like, oh, okay, I wonder what that is. Went to the top, went to, you know, the top to where the bowling alley was and our other friend runs up and he was just like, I just saw this guy jump off the building next door. 
just casually traumatized. Yeah. I think he was in a, he was, he came up like excited about it. Okay, look. Jesus Christ. He sounded excited, but looking back at it, I think it was just pure shock of like not knowing really like how to react to what he saw. I don't think he saw him like hit the floor or anything, but he did see him jump and he had been there for a while and he was just like trying to cope with it, I think. Um, we went to go bowl as if nothing happened. <laughs> it happened, it didn't happen at that hotel. It happened at the hotel right next to it. But yeah, and we were there for maybe like an hour and a half we came out, nothing. No ambulances, no police. There was nothing, like as if nothing had ever fucking happened within an hour. Okay. Um, well, we have a long list of deaths to go through here. Uh, thanks for the horrifying side story. <laughs> so from 1937 to 1940, the hotel became a place for people to end their lives with at least one death every year. In 1937, Grace E. Margot jumped from the hotel's nine-story window. Uh, though she initially survived after her fall was broken by telephone wires, she died later in the hospital from her injuries. 19, in 1938, Roy Thompson, who had been a Cecil resident for a number of weeks, jumped from the top floor and was found on the neighboring building's roof. In May 1939, 39-year-old Navy officer Orwin C. Niblett died in his room after ingesting poison. He was discovered unconscious by a maid who called the police. He passed just after they had arrived. In 1940, teacher Dorothy Sager was staying at the hotel when she ingested poison. According to the newspaper at the time, she left the hotel near death. Her death was then declared a few days later. In 1944, 19-year-old Dorothy Jean Purcell and her boyfriend, 38-year-old Ben Levine, were staying at the hotel. It had been reported that Ben had no idea that his girlfriend was pregnant. She went into labor and didn't want to wake her boyfriend who was sleeping, so she went to the communal bathroom to give birth. She believed the child was stillborn and threw it out the window. It was later determined that she was mentally confused and was found not guilty of murder by reasons of insanity. Are you gonna do you want to say something about that? what the fuck how okay i was gonna ask how did she know or how did she why did she think it was a stillborn but then again i don't know much about giving birth so i guess if it came out silent dead <laughs> yeah she probably would have just been like oh <laughs> yeet it out the window well okay first of all that's another thing i understand that it may have been dead but why would your thought be process be shit i don't think she wanted her boyfriend to know that she was pregnant how could he not tell i don't know maybe she was tiny or fat okay well either way you know what's disgusting is that she was 19 and he was 38 what year is this again you know what i don't even need to need 1940 i don't need to know the year men are just disgusting like that so i don't care (laughs) (laughs) i do not care it's not surprising (laughs) either way but yeah, I don't know why her first thought would be to yeet it out the window. I, I, maybe she did suffer some from some sort of mental disorder or was in shock because the baby was dead. Or maybe she didn't want to get beat by her boyfriend. Like, this was the 40s, so... 
In November of 1947, Robert Smith died after jumping from a seventh floor window. He was age 35. In October of 1954, Margaret Brown checked into the hotel. A week later, she died after jumping from the seventh floor. She was later identified as actually being 55-year-old Helen Gurney. On February 11, 1962, Julia Frances Moore, age 50, jumped from the window of her eighth floor room. In 1962, a young woman called Pauline Auten had been fighting with her husband, Dewey, on the ninth floor. She jumped out of the window to teach the guy a lesson. She landed on a pedestrian, George Gianni, and they were both instantly killed. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think I would jump out of a window and kill myself to teach a guy a lesson. And also, who said that? Her husband? I think he killed her. Oh, okay, that's it. Mm. Yeah, he killed her. He killed her, 100%. And some random innocent man walking. Just unfortunate, that poor guy. (laughs) That was having a really bad day. Two years later, in 1964, Goldie Osgood lived in the Cecil Hotel. Her nickname was Pigeon Goldie, as she would regularly come out and feed the local pigeons. She was very well known in the area, and one day, someone came into her room and attacked her in broad daylight. She was sexually assaulted and then murdered. On December 20th of 1975, a woman who was thought to be age 23 jumped from the 12th floor. She had registered at the local hotel on December 16th under the name Allison Lowell, but her real identity still is not known. So there's a lot of deaths that occurred in a relatively short amount of time. You think at this point the hotel would learn to seal the windows. Seal the windows. People are jumping out of them. There, people are flocking to this hotel to kill themselves. It's, I don't know if the hotel is like drawing them in, like if it's some sort of spiritual nexus now, or if it's just like, hey, I remember reading a story of someone killing themselves here. It seems like an easy place to do it. I think it's like kind of, I mean, I was gonna say that, what if it's like, I was gonna, you know, just shit on capitalism and say that it's, you know, (laughs) I was going to shit on capitalism and say that it's perhaps like them making money off of these people coming to pay and kill themselves, but like- Well, I think traditionally at a hotel you kill, uh, you, you kill, you pay after you check out, so I don't think they're actually getting the money from these yeah, people. Yeah, exactly. This was a long time ago, so we don't know if it actually used to work like that, but yeah. Um, hmm. I don't know. It's just, I think it probably does draw these people in, but yeah, you make a good point. Why haven't they just decided, hey, you know what? These people keep uh, keep jumping out the windows, throwing children out the windows. Let's uh, Let's do something about those windows. And they haven't. Do they ever do something about these windows? I don't think so. Fuck. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, continue, I guess. So the hotel made it a decade being death-free. But in 1985, evil moved into the Hotel Cecil. One of the most infamous serial killers in U.S. history, Richard Ramirez, a.k.a. the Night Stalker, stayed at the Cecil during his killing spree. 
It is described in a Netflix documentary that he would return from killing people in the middle of the night to the back alley of the hotel. He'd be covered in blood, remove his clothing, and walk through the hotel in his blood-stained underwear, up to his room repeatedly, and no one had a problem with it. Richard Ramirez was 24 when he terrorized the streets of Los Angeles and San Francisco for just over a year before he was hunted down. He was finally convicted in 1989, charged with 13 murders, 5 attempted murders, 11 sexual assaults, and 14 burglaries. Just a piece of shit. I know, he was a horrible person. And you know, it was the Latino community. That oh, yeah, I... Where, like, they the cops, the fuck out of him they the beat the shit out of him. He was near death when the cops finally got to him. Like, honestly, like, and, you know, I think it was in the documentary where they were just like, Latinos were not going to, they knew the cops weren't going to do anything about him. Mm-hmm. So once they recognized him, they were like, fuck it. <laughs> we are taking this man on our own terms. Mm-hmm. And they did. And you know what? I'm proud of them. <clears throat> so... In 1991, a journalist from Australia called Jack Unterwerger checked into the Cecil. He was writing a story about red light districts in Los Angeles. He would regularly engage with the police doing ride-alongs, and he interviewed sex workers. He even had the sex workers come up and visit him in his room at the Cecil. He was becoming a well-known face in the area, and and some would regard him as a celebrity. Unknown to everybody, Unterwerger is a convicted killer and rapist in Australia. In 1974 in Australia, he was sentenced over the sexual assault and murder of a young woman. He was released in in the 1990s and almost instantly in the area he was living, women began going missing and being found dead. He was the main suspect in these crimes, so he fled to America. The murder stopped in Australia. I'm sorry. He's from Austria, not Australia. I'm an idiot. (laughs) I wrote Australia. I'm sorry. The killing stopped in Austria, (laughs) and he picked up again in Los Angeles. In 1992, police caught Unterwerger in Miami after tracing his credit card. He was eventually extradited to Austria, and despite maintaining maintaining his innocence, he was found guilty of nine murders. Just hours after his sentence, he took his own life in his cell at the age of 43 years old. So this guy liked to kill women by choking them with their bra and panties. I've heard that dude. I didn't know that was his name. I didn't know he was from Australia, but I've heard that dude. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, I... This isn't fun. Men are disgusting anyway keep going that's just the tagline for this podcast men really ain't shit (laughs) y'all have a history of doing the worst possible shit to everything i mean it's not like (laughs) i know there's that little thing where guys will be like not all men Ugh, not all men except for the men that say that yeah Yeah. anyway Anyway. uh, (laughs) um So I think having two serial killers being drawn to your hotel cannot help. I definitely think the Cecil is some sort of evil. And I don't know if Richard's rituals like enhanced this evil or he was drawn there because of its history. And that's why he did it. And I think Jack went there 
because he wanted to follow in Richard's footsteps. You know, you're having people commit suicide constantly at this hotel. I mean, those are just the, like, documented ones. What if there was yeah. ones where they were, like, attempted or, like, even the hotel was like, you know what, we've already had, we had one last week. Let's try to just, you know, push this one under the rug. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Um, yeah, Cecil Hotel has always just had bad vibes, and I don't think the serial killers help. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, it, it spawned its own season of American Horror Story. Um, so now I want to go into the next segment, which I dub the Decade of Death. Amy Price became hotel manager of a Cecil in 2007, and she claimed her job was to clean up its image. During her 10-year stint at the hotel, it is said that there were well over 80 deaths, the most infamous being of 21-year-old Canadian student Alisa Lam. In 2013, Alisa Lam went on a vacation alone to the US, and she was a frequent user of Tumblr, as most of us were in 2013. She was constantly updating her Tumblr with her life struggles, including her mood instability, which, you know, I also suffer from. Um, I want to read you her uh, post on Tumblr from January 29th, 2013. I have arrived in La La Land, and there is a monstrosity of a building next to the place I am staying. When I say monstrosity, mind you, I'm saying it as in it's gaudy. But then again, it was built in 1928, hence the Art Deco theme, so yes, it is classy. But then, since it's LA, it went on crack. I don't know what this means, but that's how she wrote it. It's, she also finishes it off saying she's fairly certain this is where Baz Luhrmann needs to film The Great Gatsby. She checked into the Cecil Hotel on January 29th and was supposed to check out February 17th. Now, Elisa was set to check in with her family daily, but she had suddenly stopped, leaving her parents to declare her missing with LAPD. Upon her stay, she was staying in a hostel-style room at first, where she shared it with two other traveling girls. But they were freaked out by Elisa's erratic behavior, and she was moved into a private room. It is believed that she had stopped taking her medications on her trip, and she was thrown into a manic state. Investigators went to her room to search for evidence, but found staff had removed all her belongings. She left valuables, clothes, her medication, phone, and her laptop. Hotel staff had seen her in an area of the hotel where guests weren't allowed to be, so they had asked her to leave. She walked towards the elevators, and this was the last time anybody saw her alive. There were no cameras on the floor Elisa was staying at, but around a week after she went missing, The strange, now viral, CCT footage of Elisa in the hotel elevators was discovered. This helped police come to the conclusion that she was still at the hotel. Have you seen this footage? Um, I think everyone has seen this footage. Yeah, I got really obsessed with this case when I was like... 15, maybe? But it wasn't until I was 15 that, like... Oh, like the theories and stuff and like the footage and like everything from the case was finally like kind of out there. Obviously, some stuff came out later, but I remember being obsessed with it and like watching the video over and over and over again, just trying to be like, there's something we're missing. Because yeah. <laughs> it's very odd how she acts in it. I think that has to do a lot with her not taking her medication or something else. Um, I didn't know about the medication thing until much later. So Mm -hmm. looking back on it now, if I had known that, I probably would have been like, I 
way she's acting is due to her lack of being medicated. Yeah. So those of you who haven't seen this footage, uh, it's Elisa in an elevator. She's standing outside. Looks like she's arguing or talking with someone. She steps into the elevator and then out of the elevator and then back into the elevator, pacing around very erratically. And she presses all of these buttons on the elevator. Um, and that's the last time she's ever seen. <clears throat> if you want to watch it, it's all over YouTube. You could, I'm sure you could find it. Just type in her name, Alyssa Lamb. Mm-hmm. Even if you spell it wrong, it's going to come up. Don't even worry about it. You'll find it. So, Elisa was found naked in a water tank on the hotel roof on February 19th. Guests had complained of the water tasting off and being black in color. Her last Tumblr post was on February 16th, which means she had passed shortly before being found. So, I want to get into some theories here. The official ruling of death is accidental drowning. Um, some think she took her own life from being off of her meds. Uh, another popular theory is that Elisa was murdered. The main questions raised in the case, which have, <clears throat> which have led people to believe this, are uh, who was she gesturing in the elevator? Why did she look so disoriented and scared? Who was she hiding in the corner in the elevator from? How did she get up on the roof on her own? She was slim and petite, so how did she lift the water tank lid on her own? It is extremely heavy. Why was she naked? And then, how on earth did she manage to put the water tank lid back on after already being inside? There's a lot of things that don't seem to make sense, and there are a lot of theories about who could have potentially harmed her. It's been reported that before her death, Elisa was seen entering the hotel with two men who gave her a small box. The men were never identified, and the box was found to be from the last bookstore, which she visited on the last day she was seen alive. Whilst this seems to answer the small mystery, people still aren't convinced. Elisa had also spoken on Tumblr about wanting to meet new people and explore Los Angeles. She had come... Was she harmed by someone she met from Tumblr? Masisa Hotel, located on Skid Row, which is also known as a dangerous place. Historians in the Netflix documentary address theories that she could have been abducted or met someone at or around the hotel that caused her death. The hotel also worked as an apartment stay for people who could not pay deposits. This meant it attracted criminals, people who were on the run, or people who had just left prison and couldn't live anywhere else. The hotel manager says in the Netflix series, this, is, this meant the hotel faced a lot of security and safety issues and had thousands of 911 calls. A detective says they had around three calls a day to hell on earth. Scenes unfolding at the Cecil. So this next part is really interesting to me. I recently saw this movie and I have it on DVD now. Um, Wait, are we done talking about the theory? No. Oh, shit, really? Yeah, no, there's a lot more. Um, I actually don't have the rest of them on here. There's a lot more theories, but they're kind of cuckoo bananas. So we're not going to talk about those. Um, well, no, we'll talk about, I guess, one more. I didn't include it in here, which is weird. I thought I wrote about it. Anyway. <laughs> um, so theory uh, theorists have also linked the case to the plot of the film Dark Water, which I recently seen and I have. And I could have sworn that Dark Water came out after this had happened, but no, it was in the early 2000s. And it is literally the plot 
what happened to Elisa is literally the plot of the movie. Like, and, and the basics formed. I mean, she wasn't a little girl with a Hello Kitty backpack, but... <clears throat> so people think that um, people wanted to, or someone wanted to recreate the plot of that movie, and that's why she died like this. Um, I don't know if that's a bit of a stretch, but th that's just crazy, like how, the similarities between that film and her death. So um, one more theory, which I, I guess I didn't write about, was that she was playing the elevator game, um, which I believe is a Korean game. Um, so if you don't know what that is, it's when you enter an elevator with a building that has, I think, at least 13 floors and you press um, the elevator buttons in a particular series, it's said to take you to an alternate dimension. And um, I'm not exactly sure what happens once you're in there, uh, but it's scary. Some people think that's what, that's what she was doing. Um, I believe some people have gone as far as to analyzing what buttons she was pressing in what order. I don't really know a lot about the game. I know about it in general. Um, it's been really popular in recent media. There's, what's his name? The YouTube, the Hugh, the like, father of YouTube that was canceled. Shane Dawson, there you go. Oh. <laughs> um, he played it with his friends, but um, he also told a story about it. But yeah, it's, based, it's just a weird game that you play in the elevator that'll send you to another dimension. And it did originate from Korea, but... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I heard about that theory with her. I don't think that's what she. I don't think that's what she was doing. They could be wrong though. Maybe she was. Who knows? But I don't think that's what happened. We will never know what happened to Elisa. I'm really when I watched the documentary, and that's when they like finally spoke about what her official ruling of death was. I was fuming. It's like that. She did not go in there to swim and then die. But how did she get on the roof? It's supposed to be blocked. How did she climb in and lift the thing and then close it once she was inside? They say that she was swimming, she closed it, and then the water levels went down because people were using the water and she couldn't reach the top of it. So she ended up drowning after trying to tread water for the longest time. I think it's bullshit. Um, I think someone did something to this girl and I think it's very disrespectful for them to say she did it herself. I think she did kill herself. Why? Well, no, here's, here's the, I don't think she killed herself in the water tank. I think she was probably attempting to kill herself or something, or maybe she was, you know, I think primarily she did try to do something to herself in the building. And the Cecil Hotel is trying to work on its image right now. Mm -hmm. So I think staff, whoever was in charge, was just like found her and was just like, fuck, <laughs> this is going to totally screw up. What the hell? Yeah, just keep talking. Oh my, oh my God. They were like, this is totally going to screw up what we've been working towards. So. Well, they covered up 80 deaths. Yeah, exactly. So what was one more? Why did they put her in the water tank then? Because it confuses the fuck out of all of us. It, they could have just thrown her in the dumpster or out a window or something. 
they would have been able to figure it out somehow. But in the water tank, it's like, oh, well, she couldn't get in there by herself. Oh, well, then who opened it? We don't know. How did she get onto the roof? We don't know. There's, There was so many ways. I feel like that's worse for their image than a girl committing suicide. It is, but I don't think they, you know, thought out the whole idea of they're going to find her body. <laughs> I'm going to say bullshit on your thought. I'm sorry. It does not make sense. I don't know. I feel like. I don't think the water tank idea was a good one. Maybe she maybe she did get in there on her own, you know? And the reason the hotel didn't really do anything about it was because it was like, oh, fuck, we left the roof unlocked. And they just let her body rot in the water? Well, no, eventually when the body was found, then they were like, shit. So essentially, you believe the police. Wait, what? What do you mean? Did the police... No, I think that she did. Tr I don't think she tried to kill herself in there. But I think that the hotel was probably like, we had no idea. <laughs> and it was easier for them to, f you know, fake that shit. But at the same time, it was just kind of like, well, it's still ruining the image of the hotel. And the hotel's image is still ruined. Probably even more than with all the deaths they've covered up. Well, there's so many deaths that have happened here. And this case is the one that, like, really shone the light on them. And it happened after they had already rebranded to stay on Maine, which sucks for them. <clears throat> so, um, I just want to close out the history of the Cecil Hotel really quickly. Um, okay, so in 2014, the hotel was sold to uh, a New York-based um, hotel dude for $30 million. Um, after which, another New York-based firm uh, acquired a 99-year ground lease on the property. 99 years in 2016 matt baron president of simon and baron said he was com said he was committed to the preservation of architectural or historic significant components of the building such as the hotel's lobby which is really pretty for a shitty hotel um but his company plans to completely redevelop the interior and fix the hotel's hodgepodge work that had been done in the most recent years the hotel closed in 2017 for the renovations, but the work was suspended indefinitely when the COVID-19 pandemic hit. Um, in February 2017, the Los Angeles Council voted to deem the Cecil a historic cultural monument based on its representative of early 20th century American hotels because of a historic significance of its architect's body of work. Blah, 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 blah. It's pretty. It's old. That's what they did. It's a horrible fucking place. I don't know why they wanted to immortalize it. There's like a law or something where if there's a building that's been standing for 50 years, it becomes like a historical site, which is what happened with McConnell on campus. So McConnell became a historical site the year that I was an RA in like March, I believe. No, before March, like April. No, wait, hold up. April comes after March. February. There you go. That's what I'm thinking of. In like February, <laughs> it became a historical site. And once like a building becomes a historical site, you can't knock it down. Or you can, but you have to go through a bunch of like hoops to do so. I just don't know why they would make this one a historical monument. I'd be like, sorry, that's too cursed. On December 13th of 2021, the Cecil reopened as an affordable housing complex operated by the Skid Row Housing Trust. The facility um, provides affordable housing and living accommodations for 600 low-income residents. 
Um, and recently there has been like a TikToker who moved into the Cecil Hotel uh, or moved next to the Cecil Hotel. He went to their grand opening and then was immediately escorted out and um, berated by security. And I don't know why. I don't know if they're hiding something or if they didn't want press. Like it was it was weird. Um, but now I wanted to go to the more supernatural elements of the Cecil Hotel. So in 2021, the love of my life, Zach Bagans, of the hit show Ghost Adventures, got special permission to investigate the hotel. It was said that this would be the first and last time a paranormal investigation would be allowed to occur, which is a lie because Sam and Colby also got permission to investigate. Uh, Sam and Colby, the YouTubers, got permission to investigate this hotel. I think I might be wrong. No, I am wrong. I was going to say BuzzFeed Unsolved, probably. Was, they just did an episode. I think they just did an episode about what happened there, but they didn't get to investigate it. So never mind. JK. Shannon Ryan, I love you. <laughs> Let her be a producer for your show. Please, that is all I want. <laughs> why, they don't have applications. They have applications open right now, but it's for some sort of like, uh, like advertising thing. I'm not advertising. You right. You right. You right. Well, think about. It. Um, so Zach, uh, was said to be drawn to the hotel due to its connection to Ramirez and the death of Elisa Lam. Uh, Zach wanted to see if Lam could have been influenced by a dark entity created by the blood-stained past of the hotel. Um, Bagans told People Magazine this quote, <clears throat> That death, Lam's, has stuck with me throughout the years, and that's what really drew me to this hotel. I wanted to try to explore the theory that she may have been influenced by something, some kind of dark entity, possibly conjured by a serial killer like Richard Ramirez, who was said to have done rituals on the very roof where they discovered her body. So I just want to read um, People Magazine's uh, description of what they discovered uh, during their investigation at the hotel. During their two-night investigation, the team retraced Lamb's steps, including the elevator, where disturbing security camera footage captured her exhibiting odd behavior shortly before her disappearance and death. When you are walking through those floors and nobody is there, even with the lights on, you could feel these spirits move through you around you. They're watching you, Zach says. There was just something about this building. While the team experienced physical afflictions, including unexplained scratches, it was a moment of paranormal activity that had the biggest impact on Bagans. Investigating alone in one of the hotel rooms where serial killer Jack Unforger stayed in 1991, Bagans said he witnessed the bathroom water faucet turning on by itself. I didn't know what to do, he recalls. You had to literally twist the handle for the water to go on. That wasn't a motion-activated faucet. That, that's one of the most terrifying moments I've had. As for how he faces intense, such fear on a regular basis, Bagans insists it's all about perspective. You just have to tell yourself to calm down, he says. In the moment, I'm scared because of what's occurring, but I'm also confirmed that there is more proof of an afterlife, which to me is rewarding. So this place has a very dark history, and now it's a home for people who are in need of help. 
I don't know if anyone should be living here. I think we should knock it down and start over again. It has to be haunted as shit. Yeah, if it wasn't for all the fucking deaths it had, you know, the most recent one, or, you know, the Alyssa Lamb and shit, I'd... You know, they really will just, like, give people in need the absolute worst places to live. Like... I don't even know why they even wanted to reopen it after what happened. Like, people drank her body, if you think about it. Yeah. And they decided, hey, we'll just renovate and reopen. So, uh, actually, Elisa was not the most recent death. So, in June, on June 13th of 2015, an unknown person, approximately about the age of 28, um, has suspected to fall from the building. Um... Some conjectured he may have committed suicide by jumping from the hotel, although a spokesperson from the county coroner confirmed with the Los Angeles Times that the cause of death had not been determined. This, this is the last report of death by Stay on Main, the CISO Hotel, as of 2022. Okay, so then, since that death, how the hell... You know, I want to know how they... I want to know how they find people to even work to get this place open again. Like, well, if I was... Forever. Well, yeah, but if I was somebody who was in the business of, like, um, rebranding and, like, opening up a new hotel, restaurant, whatever, I don't think I'd want to try, even try touching this shit. There's no way you could get it to reopen again. Like, I don't know how the fuck... I, I really don't know how they can manage this or how anybody would even want to try. My impulsive thoughts want me to rent an apartment there. And I would want to see if I could get Richard Ramirez's apartment. Mood same. Not because, you know, he's a piece of shit, but ghosts. Ghosts. Yeah, no, same. I thought the exact same thing. Like, it would be so interesting to just stay there i mean even like even just stay there for a night unfortunately you can't and i feel like that's probably the reason they turned into affordable housing and not um normal housing or a hotel (laughs) because they know that people are just going to be coming just to stay for the spooky shit that's it or to kill themselves i hope no one else kills himself at this fucking hotel I hope they did something to the windows to, like, make them not open fully or, like, ugh, Jesus. Something. I know there's other means and ways to do yeah. it, but just don't. Apparently poison and jumping poison. out a window. Poison was a popular one. I don't know. Who wants to poison themselves? I mean, I guess it's better than... Oh, 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 okay. So I wanted to say that this hotel reminds me a lot of the Stephen King movie, uh, 1408, just because of all the deaths that occurred. Um... And I know, obviously, that's a work of fiction, but I think it was inspired by the Cecil. Let me let me confirm. I didn't know that the Black Dahlia uh, went to the Cecil Hotel before she was murdered. <gasps> oh my God! I forgot about that. Yeah, she did. She was. Did she? Yeah, she visited. I think. I yeah. don't think she stayed there. Yeah, she just visited. Sure. She visited, and then like later on, she was found. Yeah, and also it is confirmed that 1408 was inspired by the Cecil Hotel. That's why it reminded me so much of it. 
Wow. Well, I have a million fucking sources for this episode, so R.I.P. Future Wyatt for having to type these out. Uh, that's all I have for you on Hotel Death, a.k.a. The Cecil, a.k.a. Stay on Main. Um... Yeah, so since then, a lot of uh, YouTubers, paranormal investigators, journalists have tried to investigate this hotel um, with only a select handful going through. You know, I don't think Sam and Colby actually had permission. I think one of their friends worked at the hotel and they let them in. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think, yeah, I don't think they actually had permission. Um, I know that that one TikToker, he did try to fly a drone, like there was a window that was open while they were renovating and he tried to fly it in and he crashed it unfortunately which you know some people were saying shit like oh he did it on purpose because like he's a pussy who like didn't want to you know get caught no as someone who has a drone it is very easy to crash (laughs) i think he really did just fuck up um but yeah he crashed it and i know like someone who was working there found it and i think Either they did return it to him, or they denied it being returned to him. Something happened, but there was, like, a conclusion to that video on mm-hmm. TikTok. Um, he didn't just, like, crash it and then move on. He did eventually update his followers on what happened to the crash drone. But mm, Yeah, so I don't know if I would really classify this episode as true crime. Because, you know, I didn't really talk about a case. I kind of talked about a building's history. Um talk about buildings two weeks in a row we d- oh my god <laughs> buildings cursed in general we don't need them sleep in a tent <laughs> live in the woods like a fae sick um all right y'all that was this episode don't forget to check your closet <laughs>